Welcome to the Berkey Web Today podcast, part of the Eero Podcast Network, podcasts that inform by focusing on the news and the people behind the news. My name is Edward Eero, and I am your host for Episode 7 on November 23rd, 2009. With me today is Joel Harrison, owner of the New Moon Ski Shop in Hayward, Wisconsin. We will also be checking in with Sherry Morgan, Media Coordinator for the American Berkebiner Ski Foundation, regarding the new Berkey website and some other important updates. Berkey Web Today provides coverage before, during, and after the American Berkebiner Ski Race in northern Wisconsin. The podcast is a feature of the BerkeyWeb.com website, where fellow Berkey buddies Tim Burke, Mike Tarnow, and I explore news and information about the race, which includes interviews with interesting individuals either involved in the race or Nordic skiing in general. Berkey Web Today podcast can be found at the Berkey Web website at www.berkeyweb.com. They are also indexed at the Eero Podcast Network at epn.ero.com and on iTunes. We welcome your feedback, so please write to webmaster at berkeyweb.com and send in your comments or suggestions. We would love to hear from you. Before we talk with Joel and Sherry, I wanted to welcome everyone back. I hope you had a wonderful summer and that you kept up a good activity level throughout so that you are ready for another Nordic ski season and the 37th annual American Berkebinder Ski Race. As of today, there are 96 days to the race, which is on February 27, 2010. So as you all know from past years, it will be here before we know it. probably noticed that we have our own original theme song for the podcast starting this season. The name of the song is called The Twelfth Street Stomp, and it is by Mark Fransky, who is a local roots and bluegrass artist from Prairie Village, Kansas. Mark has graciously given us the permission to use his song for the podcast, and you can find out more about Mark and his music and art by going to www.banjodog.com. For an interesting interview of Mark, please go to the Kansas Cyclist podcast at kansascyclist.com slash podcast or to iTunes and listen to episode six. We use another one of Mark's songs for that podcast. There have also been some changes to the berkeyweb.com website as the podcast can now be more easily found by simply typing podcast.berkeyweb.com. Most of the news I have for this episode will be covered in the update with Sherry Morgan, so we will go right to that interview. Sherry Morgan is the media coordinator for the American Berkebinder Ski Foundation and also the former executive director of the race before leaving that position in 2002 with the birth of her son. You can learn more about Sherry from the interview that I did with her in Episode 6 of the Berkey Web Today podcast at the end of last season. Today, we are checking in with her on the new Berkey website and some other important information. Welcome, Sherry. Uh, So nice to talk to you again. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. 
I, I know you have some uh, news to share, including uh, the great new website, uh, uh, but uh, tell us about how the website came about, this new uh, feature, and how long was that in the making? Actually, you know, we've, we always are looking at ways to improve it and to manage it. And the company that was doing our website approached us and told us they had this great new system um, called Engine, and would we be interested in giving it a try? So we looked at it with them and found out it was much, much easier for us to manage and to get better content. And, um, you know, some of the primary reasons for the switch were also that we will have video capability and the better uh, a better ability to put up photos and images because that really seems to be what draws people um, to the site and you know the chance to put more skiers up there was really important to so us. You, so you can actually add content directly yourself yes we're probably in control of about 98 of percent of what you see on the website there's a few um, programming issues that we don't control and um, but, you know, it's as easy as making a phone call and they can make those changes for us. So, yes, we're in um, almost control of the whole thing. So it, it's a great position for us to be in. Yeah, that's uh, much better. You don't have to go back through the webmaster and there's a delay uh, in information. Right. It also right. We are our own webmaster. Yeah, yeah. And it also seems speedier. I spent some time over the weekend exploring the site and uh, it, it seemed to, to react quicker. Now, I don't know if that was just the connection I was on, but... Uh, it just seems to be uh, maybe tighter code. So uh, those are, in general, good changes. Yes, yes, we think so. I, and I, a huge I, time saver for us, too, and that's always important. <laughs> yeah, I, I like. there's a few things I wanted to talk to you about. One was okay. the uh, uh, Berkey Life section. That was good. It had all the great Berkey songs. Usually I don't get to hear those until I'm up there in February, so it's nice I can play them any time now. Yes, and actually, um, that wasn't when we made the site live um, almost two weeks ago. The songs weren't on there, uh-huh. and I started hearing from people immediately. Where are the songs? Where, <laughs> where did they go? Yeah. So just give us a little more time. We'll get them back. You yeah. know, there's a few things that we're still we're still tweaking results, and a couple of the pages, you know, still need a little bit of work. But we felt it was important to get it up and running. Well, that section was really good, and I, I liked, you know, uh, what is Berkey fever? That's great for. Uh... Folks that don't know, you know, when you think about your wave placement in the heat of summer and, you know, you (laughs) pray for snow long before winter sets in, I think those are also true. Right. Um, And we're hoping to expand that section, um, you know, even more through the training and through those Berkey fever stories. Um, You know, we we know that skiers choose a Berkey and it becomes a lifestyle choice. So that's where the name Berkey Life came from. And we're just hoping to keep developing on that. So we're looking for ideas for that as well. Yeah, the Berkey Fever stories, of course, we were, you know, my buddies and I were featured uh, in that. But I've been reading those, you know, every issue when they come out. And they are just amazing uh, how it has become people's life almost that, uh, you know, they keep coming back and coming back. And some of the stories are so very similar to ours. Right. And that's actually um, within our Carpe scheme that we send once a month. That's the most hit link. Uh-huh. People go and read that story more than anything else in there. So, um, you know, we you know it means a lot to you. Well, I know you're announcing on December 8th the, uh, the search for three tough skiers. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Is it still open or you got all the entries now? 
We actually have all the entries. Um, that deadline was early in November, mm-hmm. but we've received um, a, just over a dozen applications from Warrior applicants and Ingas, and th- some of those are combined applicants, so they may have two or three people on them. Um, so we have a lot of really good candidates again this year. This is a contest we've been doing for several years now, and those skiers will act as um, the warriors and the mother of the prince, Inga, and ski the event in traditional costume um, on wooden skis with birch bark, um, you know, wrapped around their legs, and they'll do the whole course like that. Yeah, I, see, I, into the I, finish line. I see them out there every year, and that's got to be tough i mean because you got to go back you know with the wooden skis and everything to to do that so that's not an easy uh ski no it's not and that's part of the application process is telling us why they believe they're qualified to be able to ski um you know in that costume um through those conditions and you know and part of their um role is to be ambassadors on the trail and you know try to reach as many people as they can for us through volunteers and skiers and mm-hmm. so it's it's a long day and I did hear the warriors from last year actually one of them just sent me a great story telling us as tough as they thought it they had it Inga who last year skied the full Berkey the Inga candidate has the option of skiing the Cordelope or the Berkebiner she skied the full Berkey and they said they can't even imagine how she did it in a dress <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I think she's even tougher than anybody else out there. You know, yeah. she had a, had a great time and she's was an excellent skier, um, you know, collegiate and high school state champion. So really had the skills, but it was still a long, long day. But, you know, they also tell us as hard as it is, it's the most rewarding Berkabiner they ever do. Yeah, because just forget it. everybody wants to talk to you. Um, yes, and they said photos, you know, they, they just couldn't believe how much people, how many people approached them and wanted to be, you know, meet them. And then so. are there, uh, they have to turn in a 300-word essay to do this too, right? They so do. They, they have uh, to turn in a 300-word essay. Um, so the Warriors can turn it in as a pair, and then the Inga one can be included with it, but it does need to be a separate 300-word essay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, uh, the judging takes place. The um, former, the past two years, Warrior and Inga candidates do the judging. So there's six judges every year. And then if there would be a tie or an issue like that, then um, our executive director would um, come in, you know, and work with them to make that final choice. But they've always been able to, you know, pick somebody, and then we make the announcement of who they are and start working with them on costumes and all of those things. Right. You must get some... uh... Uh, sure, creative and funny stories too. In the we do, we get we get a lot of great ones, and you know, and I always wish we could publish them all. But some of the candidates, if they don't make it one year, they'll reapply the next. And even though their story changes a little bit, I don't want to release, you know, yes. what they're trying to achieve because you know, hopefully, they'll still have another shot. So anybody who's ever applied before, you know, don't give up. Apply again, and um, another set of judges you might get in. Yep. Well, uh, new this year is a. Uh untimed, non-competitive open track event uh, open to all skiers 13 and above called the the Berkey Tour, which is going to happen on Saturday, January 23rd. Tell us about that. Yes, this is, um, we've for a few years here, since we built the new Classic Trail, we've had a ski event, just kind of a fun little get-together in January. Um, and we decided to take that event a step further and make it an open track event. After 2007, where we had to shorten the race, and that was really run as an open track 
for the general skiing population. The elites were still time, but everybody else wasn't. We received a lot of comments about how great it was, how much fun it was, you know, how much, um, how wonderful it is to ski in a relaxed event. Mm-hmm. So that's what we thought we could create in January. And we're hoping what that does is, you know, it draws our, our Berkey and our Cordelopet skiers, certainly, but also brings in skiers who may just choose not to race. You know, they might ski just as much as everybody else, but just for whatever reason, don't race with us in February. So that open track we're hoping attracts, you know, more and more of those people. And there's several event distances. It starts as low as 22 kilometers. Um, so there's 22K, 27K, 43K, 48K, and 51K. But really with the way we have it set up, you can pretty much do any distance, you know, because there'll be some looping in there. Um, yeah, so I saw that on the 50K that what you do an extra loop at double O and then, and then finish uh, what outside the fish hatchery, right? Right, yeah. right. So, you know, it, it's um, really meant, you know, to be there for everyone, um, you know, and the ability, and we'll have it um, prepared for both um, skating, classic skiing. So it it's just going to be a fun, more relaxed, great food, great atmosphere, good chance to get out there and see what the trail is a month, you know, before the event and just have a lot of fun with us and there'll be bus transportation. So it's all, everything that's part of an event is there. It's just that we're not going to time you. So encouraging you to have fun. Yeah. And I noticed uh, on the website, there's certain roads. Uh, I think double O was one where you have to take your skis off. So there's not going to be snow there and there and right. then limited places where there'll be uh, refreshments. So not as much as you would uh, during right. a regular, regular. Yeah. Race. And, a big part of that is, um, you know, we have 2,000 volunteers for the Berkebiner that we call upon to make that happen. So we're trying to, you know, keep it a little more simple so we don't have to call on, you know, quite as many people again. And also as a tour that it hopefully establishes some more camaraderie out there. So encouraging you to bring your own, um, carry some food, carry water, carry energy mm-hmm. with you. We will have some stations and we'll have some people out there, but it's not going to be service like a full Berkey food station that you're used to seeing. So well, not I'd, near as many points. I'd love to come up for it. I, I just, uh, it's hard to get two trips, you know, living in the Kansas City area, but I, I noticed that uh, the first year you be, you can become a Berkey tour founder too. So well, that, right. We're thinking yeah. this is going to take off and you'd hate to miss that chance to be one of I the know. founders of the event. <laughs> Might have to make some arrangements. Right. So. Well, uh, tell us, too, uh, the Citizen Sprints um, are back for uh, are on back. Friday, February 26th. Yes, yes. We um, have a sponsor. Johnson Bank is um, stepping up and sponsoring the Citizen Sprints for us. So you can, uh, um, once again, race head-to-head, um, you know, with fellow skiers, and it'll be age-class categories. Um, it's on Friday, February 26th on Main Street, and it'll start at 1.30. There is a small fee for the Citizen Sprints. It's going to, be, going to be $10, but we're going to have, you know, great age class awards. And then top male and female overall will also have awards. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a fun event, um, you know, after you see the Elite Sprints on Thursday, then you can come out and try it. And if nothing else, just to see how you can sprint up up and down Main Street is a lot of fun. Now, th- th- there were citizen sprints in the past, right? There were, and I don't remember the last year okay. um, we had them. But yeah, I, we, I was trying um, to think I wanted to too. bring them back and, you know, are able to do it now with sponsorship and, you know, with some um, organizational um, people, you know, to help us make that happen. Right. So well, that's, that's great. We're looking forward to those. 
And I, I noticed a, a real big change, which I, I'm happy about, because uh, I, I tend to line up in the uh, back of the wave just so I don't get, uh, you know, poles crunched and stuff. But now with the, uh, there's going to be a transponder sensor wire about 300 meters out from the start line, so your actual official start time is when you, you uh, go across that line, um, and that's your official start. That is, and we think this will be um, huge for people and very well received. The elites will still be timed on what is known as gun time, but mm-hmm. everyone else um, will be timed when they cross that transponder line. That's when it will start, and it will end when you cross the finish line. So, like you said, if you want to be in the back of the wave, um, you know it's not going to affect your time at all. You know you'll be timed starting when you cross that that mat system. Um, so yes, we think that'll hopefully relax people a little bit at the start and not maybe have some of that anxiety and the poles being broken and, you know, skis being stepped on because everybody will know it's just when you cross that mat, then you go and you ski your race. And you don't, Um, I know you don't want to encourage it and actually it's not a good idea anyhow, because the further back you are, the more skied in the trail and, uh, you know, slower skiers. But if you're in one of the earlier waves and you have, happen to miss it from, you know, traffic or whatever, you can actually step in a uh, subsequent wave and still have your accurate time. Right. You could step into a wave, um, you know, following yours and be okay. You can't move up, right. you know, at all. Right. They would still disqualify you for that. Um, and you're right. We're not going to encourage it. If it happens to somebody, you know, certainly you know, get in the wave and get started. Um, And a big reason for discouraging it is we assign the waves based on your, you know, your former ability that you've demonstrated. So you are really paired up with skiers of the same speed and ability, and that helps the race flow really well. You know, we don't um, need a bunch of fast skiers (laughs) behind you running you over. So we do still encourage you to make make your wave start and get in there, um, but you don't have to be completely crazy at the start line and run everybody over. You just can get out to that mat and then go. Um, but if it does happen to somebody that for some reason, I mean, things happen. Seven seventy five hundred skiers out there, we know. Well, I've, I've seen it every year. I'm usually, you know, anywhere from four, right. fourth to sixth or seventh wave, depending on the mm-hmm. year. And uh, I see people running up. Oh, I you right. know, missed it. But uh, and you know right. that they're not they can trying relax to a little bit. Yeah, right, right. But, it's uh, not quite that anxiety anymore. Right, but it's still tough because you're with slower skiers. Uh, well, you're and, with slower skiers, and we all know that you know earlier on the conditions are better. Right. You know, typically, so you you want to have that that wave position is very important to everybody. So you certainly want to do everything you can to start in your own. One of the other sections that I I, I didn't spend, I, I want to go back and spend a little bit more time on is the uh, fitness section, which I thought was a nice addition. I, I think it's what Jay Tapper. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh Jackie Linscoop. Linscoop, scary. Uh, yes. Yeah, and uh notice that they have now a show on WOJB. They do. They have a show on WOJB once a week. Every Friday they do a program called Fitness in 5 and it's just that. It's typically a 5-minute um program where they talk about a fitness topic and then he um he references our website, which will have an exercise of the week on there. Um, and Jay was a contributor through our Carpe Skiam through the spring and summer. Um, and now he is doing this weekly radio program. And it's it's been quite popular. And part of it is, you know, fitness for our skiers, but just also to promote fitness in the general public. Um, so people can, you can stream it live um, right from our website. There's a link. Um, 
and so you could listen to it every week, even if you're outside of the area. And it's just a great program. And um, if people don't know, Jackie Linsku is uh, the woman who did the first Birkebeiner. Um, so she's done over 30, you know, at this point, she's one of our founders and um, she does a great job, you know, and just is really, really good and fun to listen to. So she brings out the best in Jay. Mm-hmm. Is is there a possibility, can you listen to that past episodes of it or is it just it's the live? Not yet. Um, we were hoping to, you know, basically end up with a podcast system as well mm-hmm. or to have past episodes and we're we're just not set up quite yet. We're still working on that, but we are certainly hoping to be able to offer that. The exercises of the week will be posted for about five weeks. Um, so those you can go back and, and see, but the ep- um, the radio program is not up there yet. But yeah, it'd be nice. that They might even look into having that as a podcast, and then you can just, uh, you know, then you just subscribe to it and you have it. Um, right, um, and people can download it and have yeah, it anytime. Yeah, because it's it's hard. It's it's nice that you don't have to be up in the area, um, right? In the WOJB it, listening area to to listen to it, you can do it through the website. But then it's right. also trying to remember to do it at that time. Well, yeah. and that's just it. You know, I mean, I I know the program. I load all the content, and it's still sometimes your schedule just doesn't allow you know during that window of opportunity to catch it. So. Yeah. Um, yes, we're we're working on that, and hopefully fairly soon you'll be able to hear past episodes. Okay. And uh, there's some changes now to the Prince uh, Hulken race, too? There are. Um, we have changed it to be, um, it will start at the Berkey Corte Lopez start line, which we think will be a wonderful addition to this event. They will start um, following the Berkey and Corte wave starts. They'll be at 10.15. Mm-hmm. They'll start on that same start line. Um, they'll ski that the same course until I believe it's about seven or nine K and I'm trying to remember this is new to me like everybody else um, ski and then they'll veer off on just a little extension trail and then they'll connect with the Cordelope at race course and ski into the finish line at Telmark. Okay. So they actually go through the power line? They do. Also? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. They do go through that section. So it's, um, you know, we, we started the Prince Hoken to be kind of an introductory step to both of the other events. Um, but anybody who's skied at Powerline knows that it's, uh, you know, very, very challenging. So the skiers still do have to have some pretty good skills um, to get out there and do it. It's just that the event is shorter. So that adds some ease to them. And then it's nice, too. I know there was complaints because that race in the past would uh, hook in at the end of the Course. Right. You would merge in um, at Mosquito Brook. Right. Um, they'd merge them in, try to merge them in slowly. But, you know, you have fresh skiers encountering Berkey skiers that have skied a really long event. So um, that just wasn't working real well. So we knew we, we needed to make some changes and um, thought we'll try this option. And we think this, this will lend itself much better because I'll actually start behind everybody um, by 15 minutes. Um, so even if they are you know, fresh and fast, they're, you know, they're not going to be skiing into near as many people or the people they are skiing with are just as fresh as they are at mm-hmm. that point. And then they'll merge off and get on that um, Cordelope course and ski into a, you know, a great finish line. So they would actually, that course actually uh, cuts off the end of the Cordelope to Cordelope continues yeah the way yeah. they cut them into it um they just ski the very end of that quarter little bit mm-hmm. um, course to get the 12k in 
Well, plus they get the excitement of that start area, which is, I, I think, right. one of the nice things about the Berkey. And, and I know there was complaints from some people, you know, the, the finish up on Main Street, that really, you know, took doing the challenging 51K course. And they were right, right. And we did that. hear from the skiers saying yeah. that, you know, you, you earn your Berkey finish. Right, <laughs> right. You earn the right to ski on to Main Street and didn't feel that the 12K should have that. So, you know, and that was part of the decision. Well, I think the big well, thing, and, it, and I know I've experienced it too, depending on what wave, it, it just, um, you know, you're tired, you want the, that course to your self. I mean, because it's right. thinning out at that point, and then all of a sudden there's a group of uh, uh, racers that get on. Um, right. So. The biggest issue was the safety aspect of it. We right. just felt that it, it wasn't working well and it wasn't, um, you know, it was causing some safety issues. So we needed to resolve that, and we're hoping this, this should do that. And then uh, another big change I saw was the Duffy Field Bridge. I know the foundation put up money towards that, uh, and it was what a $80,000 improvement. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, you know, some skiers, I've heard comments that people have said, I didn't even know that bridge was there. Yeah. But actually, you skied um, just after you left Duffy's Field, before you went past a Berkey building in there, um, one of our storage buildings, you went across a bridge. Um, this year, you will definitely know it. Um, it's it's much different. It has um, You can see photos on our website, and actually, if you go to the website in the trail section, there's actually a small photo gallery of the before and the after. Right, I saw that. Unbelievable. You know, right. I knew, I know that bridge. I know what it was like, but to see the actual photos and visualize again what it looked like, you, you can't even believe it. Um, and what it looks like now is incredible. Um, and the photo that's on there does does a pretty good justice, but it's a lot different to see it in person and to walk on it. Yeah. And um, you see rail systems. There's actually three, like, handrails. And that's because that bridge has always been shared with a snowmobile alliance. So part of it is a snowmobile um, bridge, and then the other part is the ski trail. I see. Bridge. So they'll keep, like, half snowmobile, half skiing. Right. And, and yeah. so the rail helps keep them off. And then what they do is we, we fence in um, the Berkey Trail when it's not race time. I see. Um, so that the snowmobiles don't go on it, um, you know, either on purpose, but a lot of times they, they just didn't know necessarily what they were on if they were visitors to the area. So oh, we have a, that fenced in. Um, but great improvement. it's really, really nice. It's yeah. a great improvement, you know, much, much safer for grooming equipment. Uh, you know, I had heard that snowmobile wasn't even taking theirs over it because they just didn't feel it was safe. Oh. Much better because it is a wetland area in there, and that's the need for the bridge. So It'll be much better for everybody, but it was a huge joint effort by the communities, um, the Berkey, um, the Snowmobile Alliance, you know, different donors, some grant programs to make that all happen so mm -hmm. we can get into Hayward safely. Great. You you had talked earlier about uh, incorporating video. I saw the YouTube video of, of the Berkey yeah. kind of get you excited about it, and that that is very nice. Uh, it was a nice piece. Yes. Um, CXC Skiing had done that, and... Um, there's actually another section that you can link to the full video um, that they offered, and they will be doing that again at this year's event. They'll um, film the Berkey for us, and we'll get some things up there. But we're also this year encouraging people um, to share their videos with us. If they do load them on YouTube or you know, on another medium, to share them with us so that we can um, you know, help promote it and maybe you know, I'll change out that link to YouTube. I haven't quite figured out, you know, what I want to do depending on how many we get. 
but you know if you search Berkey in YouTube you get tons of videos you know and they're all great and fun to watch so we just want people to let us know they're out there and um, we'll try to help more yeah, that's, people see them that's a great idea because I know on the Berkey web uh, the site that I do we have a Facebook page too they um, we link to some of the uh, YouTube videos that, mm-hmm. that people put up so it's nice to to have it coordinated through the the actual Berkey site Right. And it's just, it's great to see. I mean, it's another way to see the Berkey story, you know, about somebody to see what their event was like, to, you know, watch those videos and photos would be the same way. You know, if people want to share photos with us and things like that, we're going to make a special section you know, mm-hmm. for those. We have our photos that we put up, but it's always fun to see other people's too. The, um, you just had uh, this year the Berkey Trail Run and Trek, which was on the mm-hmm. 26th this year, I guess, and what, 25th next year. Um, right. You had quite a few uh, people. What is uh, uh, marathon distances, uh, marathon relay, uh, yeah, and then this... sort of half marathon. Uh, right. And then a, a Nordic walking half marathon and then a fun run so right we had quite a few events and um about 600 people this year which was up for us the event has continued to grow um you know by leaps and bounds so we're really excited about that and um each year kind of we've added something new and for 2010 we are adding a full marathon um this past year it was a marathon relay either three person or six person teams but now oh, I see. We're so that's a, for the 25th next year is the 20th. Yep next year we'll have that I full see. marathon um distance we wow. had people that said you know we want the ultimate challenge and we think that's doing a marathon on the Berkey Trail um which I think I'd have to agree with them that's that's going to be a tough one so um people are going to come out and give that a try yeah so that's well, brand that's... new for us but well, hey, you guys are keeping busy. You have more things going on. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's great. But it, it keeps the excitement up too, and uh, especially does. for folks that uh, are up that way. I'm gonna I gonna have to live up that way so I can get to more of these things. Yeah, because uh, I I, I I think I told you in our when I interviewed for the last podcast, we talk about Nordic walking, and my wife and I do that and really love that. Yeah, it's a it, that's a great um, sport to participate in, and um, it's a very popular one on our trail run. You know, over a hundred entrance. Yeah, in that I saw that from and... the pictures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. we'll talk about uh, the foundation awarded. Uh, I think they announced in uh, earlier this month uh, thirteen projects uh, that uh, uh, were funded for young skier grants um, and just a number of things. I mean, not just in. Uh, the Wisconsin, Minnesota area, but I saw some things up in Alaska, um, Illinois, um, and uh, and other Pennsylvania had one, and Michigan had one also. So tell us about that. Um, The foundation for the past um, several years has given grants out to ski clubs and organizations for youth skiing. Um, you know, that's part of our mission is to promote the sport, and we think what better way to do that to encourage young skiers. So every year there's a grant application process, and that grant application can be um, found on our website. Typically in about August we will post that information, um, what the process is, what they need to submit to be considered. And then um, there's a group of our board members that are um, on that committee to make those decisions. And then they will announce that um, in early October. I think the deadline is early in October, October 1st typically, and they'll announce it in early November who the recipients are. Um, and it goes, you know, 
toward different things and the criteria could change year to year how mm-hmm. they determine who those groups are but this year we did award twelve thousand um, dollars to 13 different programs yeah that's that's wonderful it, it's uh they said it's you know what used for ski hats uniforms all types of different yeah things, and it's so. been all all different things and actually um you know not as much equipment anymore because a lot of times if they do go to either local ski shops or can get a hold of ski companies, those groups will help them out oftentimes mm-hmm. or different things in communities. Um, you know, like in Hayward, we have a hostage ski swap. And when I went this year to drop something off to sell, our whole ski team, you know, was lined up at the door waiting to run in there and, um, you know, good, get good deals on equipment. So typically the equipment, they can find um, different sources. Right. But, you know, so anyone who has a youth ski group or ski club, you know, be sure to visit our website in August. That's really the only way we do release um, that that grant information. We'll announce it in our Carpe scheme as well that the grant application is up. Um, but, you know, be sure to check there um, late in the summer to get submit your information because you never know. They're right. always looking. That's nice to encourage uh, youth skiing. It too. is. Yeah, very important. Uh, well, tell us the... Uh, Deadline November thirtieth is coming up for registration. How how uh, are we doing with registration? And uh, we are we close to the the, the new cap of seven thousand five hundred now? They tell me this morning we're at about forty eight hundred in our system, um, with about a hundred and fifty sitting to be processed. So they're starting to flood in now with that upcoming deadline. So we're probably close to that five thousand mark. Um, you know, after we get today's processed. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our cap is at 7,500, uh, for this year, but you know, we have, we have a ways to go, but the next deadline is next Monday, November 30th. Right now, um, Berkey registrations are $95 and Cordelopet are $85. So we just want to encourage everybody, um, you know, to get in on a, a better deal because the price goes up from there. And what, what does the price go up to then? Um, and I was going to look that up. I think it's 105, but let me make sure. Nope. It'll be 110 for the Berkey and $100 for the Cordy. Okay. So uh, all our listeners get, uh, um, this will be, you know, published uh, later today. So to make sure that you get your registration in and also to, to beat that cap. Right, to beat that cap. And the, um, they can register online. There is a link right on our homepage. But if they go to the events section on our website, Berkey or Cordelope, it both have online registration links as well as PDF forms that they could just print off and mail or fax in. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I love that uh, online. I've done that myself. Of course, I'll do it as soon as it's uh, announced, you know, just to make sure. You know, <laughs> just to make sure every, you get it. Should tell everybody that all of our events now, um, the Barney, the Junior Berkey, the Citizen Sprints, all of those do have online applications as well. Now, um, on those individual event pages, there is an option for registering online. Um, that's that's a new feature for us, so they can register for anything online. Unfortunately, at this point, you still have to register for each individual event. Um, each one is a separate online registration, yeah. but. Um, it still makes makes things a little easier, and that's a new system for us that we're going to give a try, and we're hoping everything works well with that. Well, I uh, I know uh, you don't want to talk about weather. I know earlier in the season it was looking quite promising. There was actually yeah, we some had a snow. very cold yeah. October. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cold October, and we we seemed to get snow like every Saturday morning for about two or three weeks. It was kind of nice. You'd wake up on a Saturday and it would be snow. 
um, November hasn't fared quite that yeah, way. Yeah, it's, it seems We've to be. We've been a, unseasonably warm right now. It's been unseasonably warm everywhere here, down here mm-hmm. in uh, Kansas City. The same thing. I, I lead a bicycle ride on Saturdays in October. We were bundled up. It was like 38 degrees right. at the start. And, and then now it's, uh, you know, back to, you know, I think over the weekend it was up to closer to 60 degrees, which is very unseasonable. So Right. Typically we'd be in long underwear to do anything. Right. <laughs> you know, outside. Well, anything else, uh, Sherry? I, you know, I don't think so. You know, if people have any questions or need more information, I encourage them to check out the website. I think we have most of it on there, but certainly if we're missing anything, there are links throughout the site to contact us, to email us, which is real easy, berkey at berkey.com, or to give us a call and we'll, we'll help you out. Well, great. Well, Sherry, thanks so much for uh, taking the time again to uh, be with us and talk about all the uh, neat changes that are going on and especially the 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 uh website i think it's uh, fabulous some of the things you you did and now learning that you have uh, much easier control that's going to be even nicer especially when people are trying to get up-to-date information right right no we're we're very happy with that and i i thank you for the opportunity to talk to everybody today sure well thanks no and we will you too Today we are going to interview Joel Harrison, who is the co-owner of the New Moon Ski Shop in Hayward, Wisconsin. Joel is going to talk to us about roller ski training and also about the shop itself. Joel says that he was very lucky enough to have parents who valued outdoor adventures, including skiing and hiking, as he started out cross-country skiing on wooden skis right out of his back door in Colorado in the 1970s. He obtained his first pair of track skis in 1982 and participated in the USSA program, which got him involved in ski racing. He attended the College of Idaho, graduating in history in 1990. During that time, he continued his skiing as a Nordic racer in the 10K and 20K distances and also the biathlon. In 1987 and in 1989, he was the junior national biathlon champion and for three years after graduation, tried out for the national biathlon team. He met his wife, Christy, at college, and as it turned out, she was from Hayward, Wisconsin, and was also from a skiing family, with both her and her father being Berkey skiers. In 2000, Joel and Christy moved to Hayward, where he competed in many area events and also started work at the New Moon Ski Store. In 2005, he and another employee purchased the shop from Steve and Melissa Morales. Joel and Christy have two children, aged 11 and 5, and also have become proud owners of some pot-bellied pigs. He has been roller skiing since 1982. Welcome, Joel, and thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Ed. It's fun to talk to you guys. Well, uh, tell us uh, how business is going at the New Moon Ski Shop. Have you been affected by the downturn in the economy? Our, you know, honestly, our numbers are down, but not down as severely as a lot of businesses. I've had a had a number of skiers call me and um, uh, tell me they lost a, quite a bit of money last year, and yet they're still skiing and maybe they're budgeting, but they're still passionate about skiing and still want to participate, still want to go to the races and maybe even need to buy some new skis every now and then. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to be here for a couple of years yet. Um, and I've talked to a number of other shop owners who say similar things. Everything's down a little bit, but not as bad as it would be if we were 
selling real estate, for instance, which is really down this year. Yeah. So I was going to say, is the other businesses feeling it there in, in Hayward and the cable area? Oh, certainly. Um, I think that um, I do know a number of real estate agents in town that um, are seeing a lot fewer agents from out of the area working the area. Same mm-hmm. thing in construction. I do know that there's been a huge reset in the local economy. I think that during the boom years, there are probably 200 new homes a year going into the county. Mm. Uh, this year, there were 20. So much more modest growth. Maybe maybe not a bad thing. You know, um, certainly don't think we had the huge bubble that Southern California had, but um, there truly was a bubble here in Hayward, too, and, it, and that's being readjusted to a certain extent. Yeah, because a lot of people built, like, cabins and second homes up there, too, right? It's been a vacation land for forever. Right. Uh, but um, I did seem that back in the early 2000s that uh, a lot of people were speculating in buying a home, being able to, the idea of maybe being able to sell that at a profit. And I, you know, I think that I, any number of people got caught, got hurt in that scenario. I do know quite a few customers who bought modest homes up in the Hayward area, not so much for a big palatial thing that they might be able to flip later, but really just a home base to go out and have adventures. If people lived a couple hours away in the Twin Cities or or another area, they could they could really have some fun get-togethers up here in Hayward, do some of the mountain biking, some of the ski racing. Yeah. Well, and, and then talking to the Berkey office both last year and this year, I know last year almost turned out to be one of the, the, the biggest years. So I think people are still coming up even with the economy. And I think even this year they're what the deadlines – the end of the month here, and they're going to have uh, they have a lot of uh, people already registered. So hopefully it'll be another big year. I think that you know obviously the Berkeys survived um, downturns in the past. Um, this one was obviously really severe. Uh, it was pretty scary, I think, for a lot of ski shops. I'm you know, pretty much forecasting their purchases a year ahead of time and almost a year ahead of time, and, and feeling a little bit of nervousness about that. But I have to tell you, I'm pretty grateful. Um, People are still prioritizing their the sport of cross-country skiing. Um, cycling, it seems to have gone mainstream in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that um, cross-country skiing, um, although it's a much smaller world than bicycling, continues to grow a little bit every year in terms of we see new people committing to doing the Berkey or the Cordy, um, committing to learning skating, um, or even committing to learning just traditional cross-country Riding out the back door, mm-hmm. uh, time. So it's you know it's a, an interesting thing. It's fun to see um, that appeal. That I, you know Ed, you and I have both been doing the sport for a long time, so we're kind of we can think back and remember when it was we were learning how to do some of these basic things. But um, at the shop here, we get to talk to people who oh maybe the first time they put blister on for a ski race, they decided that. Uh, it would be prudent of them to put saran wrap over the kick zone after they put the cluster on just so they didn't get it on their car seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, how well that worked out for them at that race day. <laughs> yeah, it's... So it, you know, there's some... there's some. Uh, it's a technical sport. It's outside. Um, weather is a real factor. And I think that um, it's fun to talk to other people who are, who who get a kick out of that, who get who get a rush out of really dialing in the wax or really dialing in the technique or 
mastering the conditions out there that might be maybe a really foggy, cold winter day, maybe five below zero and high humidity. How are you going to dress for that? You know, and if you dress right and you wax right and your fitness is there, you have a fabulous time. And uh, it's also possible to strike out too sometimes. I know that I've done that myself. And yeah, there's been there's been some years that uh, I think it was one year back when I was uh, it was shortened. And it was all just this uh, old snow, and then we had, you know, clisters before sort of skating really caught on, and then it started snowing. So, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I basically walked the Berkey that year. I mean, it was, I couldn't get any glide or anything. And that'd uh, be sort of the ultimate cluster penalty there. Yeah, right. New snow. And yet when the cluster skiing's great, then you get this bomber kick and great glide. Exactly, and, yeah. And you feel like Superman on your skis. And it's nice to see, I don't know if you're seeing that in the shop too, the resurgence of the classic technique. Are you seeing that in your sales? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, I think a lot of Berkey skiers, and I don't know how you feel about this, but a lot of masters that I find doing their 25th, 20th Berkey, um, the skating seems to be a little harder on the hip muscle than classic. I have some exceptions to that, but a lot of my older skiers are preferring classic skiing. And you know, honestly, the greatest story for the Berkebiner the last couple of years is the creation of this new separate classic track. So the classic skiers, they no longer get this really short shrift. They don't get crowded out to the side of the right. trail. And right. The classic tracks aren't cut up by the skate skiers. Really a pleasant ski. Um, last year was the second year of the, of the classic race. And um, it was amazing how many people had switched over to do the classic race that year. You know, I think it was well, last year was the first year it actually went all the way to double O too, so that it even right. yeah. gave you more separation, which is great. And, and I have I have talked to some of the guys uh, that uh, have switched. That and I I still am in the thing that I I just love skating because it's um, it's such a easier to to wax is all you know. It's it's you know. It's, it, 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 especially a, if you remember that day. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Down in your cluster job. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's true. Um, you know, cla- you know, people tend to get a little bit freaked out about waxing before the birdie. And I, I sometimes shake my head when, um, when I find out that they're just skate skiing, you know, you don't have to overthink it too much. It's, yeah. Right. I mean, cause it's much wider range. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's great when you really nail it, but when you're off a little bit, it's still not, uh, you know, like you're on the side of the trail rewaxing or anything. So. Yeah, and that that can be tough. Right. Well, well, tell us uh, a little bit, Joel, about uh, you know the New Moon Ski Shop. I mean, we've been coming up uh, there for years. In fact, uh, I remember buying a ski suit from the store when it was across the road in that uh, small uh, building, and then you you built a new one. But you all uh, purchased the the shop from Steve and Melissa Morales in two thousand five. Um, and tell us about uh, uh, you know, the shop in general and, and your co-owner. Well, Chris Young and I bought it from Steve and Melissa, the October 05. Um, Chris had been working for Steve for the previous 10 years and I'd been working for the previous five years. And, and we both felt at once really lucky to have the opportunity to buy a business in Hayward. It was already established. We, neither Chris nor I were really, going anywhere professionally. We just really enjoyed working at the ski shop and really loved living in Hayward. So this was you know, perfect for us. And Steve and Melissa were, were ready to retire. They'd put a lot of 
60, 70 hour work weeks in and we're ready to cut back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have to say it, you know, it was a little nerve wracking purchasing a business. It's always, I think just the nature of business in general is it has to be competitive. You know, I mean, if it weren't, then somebody would move in and then <laughs> there'd be your competition, right? There's some sort of a formula for that. Um, I find that, that, uh, one of the great things about my job is I get to talk to people who are passionate about cross-country skiing and um, from a lot of different backgrounds. I've got people who are phenomenal athletes and they're in their early 20s. I've got athletes who are in their mid-70s and been doing the Berkey for a long time. And I've got an amazing array of people in between. It's um, It's really fun for us as a shop to help foster that dream for athletes help um, facilitate the fitness or conditioning or technique or any technical aspect of the sport that people are learning. Really fun to see the light switch go off when people start realizing some of the fundamentals of cross-country skiing that uh, can make it so much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's learning to use wool socks instead of cotton or learning some of the more fine nuances of uh, of the high-end waxes, uh, we get to hear a lot of really positive stories in here. Cross-cut skiing is really, you know, it's so gentle on the body, and people can do it late in life. Right. Benefit aerobic exercise is so huge for people. It's um, an amazing thing to talk to people about um, fitting in roller ski workouts in between their chemo treatments or a reward for surviving something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, um, back a little bit to the shop. I, I know when in the last couple of years, when we've been up there, we still see Steve and, uh, Melissa around. So they, they still live in the area and, um, they still do some consulting for you or help out. Yeah. And you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the great things they supply for us is just some reassurance, you know, when, Chris and I are really confused about something. We can call them up, and they can help out. They certainly know um, stresses of running a small business in town, and yet at the same time, they are both themselves very passionate about being outside, um, being in the outdoors, skiing, hiking, biking. Yes, right. um, very active folks. Um, Steve helped spearhead some new construction of a really beautiful new single-track mountain bike trail which the mountain bikers, of course, are very excited about and appreciative of, but um, also turns out to be a great snowshoe trail and hiking running trail. Um, so he's doing quite a lot of advocacy for um, the sport, uh, helping getting a... There's been a new... seems to me a new relationship between the county government and silent sports community. A little bit more communication and respect back and forth between the two parties. It's been, you know, as far as the mountain bike trails are going, it's, uh, it's been fabulous. And um, so they are in town. They are helping out occasionally, and uh, they're also very much enjoying retirement. Yeah, yeah. What? What? Uh, tell us what's uh, new at the store uh, for uh, folks that live out of the area that would be coming up for the Berkey. Will be new at the uh, New Moon Ski Shop. Well, um, a lot of what we're doing is still very traditional. We're still fitting every pair of skis. We still spend um, as much time as needed to properly fit a pair of boots. Um, we still have staff members here who've done 
10 or more Berkeys and really passionate to do the next one. Um, we are starting to dabble a little bit more into high-end bicycles. Um, Chris and I have both gotten training in the geometry of bicycle fitting, sort of optimizing the position on the bike. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun because there's so many parallels between the two sports. A really well-fitting pair of skis um, just feels really natural underneath. There's, if it's ill-fitting, then you get all kinds of problems. Same with the bike. I find uh, people have a stiff neck, stiff shoulders, and a bike it's often, it's often coming from an improper seat position. Mm -hmm. And that's really fun to, to look at. Um, I can't tell you the quality of the ski product that's coming. You know, it seems like back when we were racing in the early 80s, we had great skis. When the first Solomon Bundy came out that had a ridge that came back towards the middle of the foot, um, instead of having a heel that was sliding off of the right. yeah. ski anytime the, the tracks were less than stable, and you know, all of a sudden we had this binding that had this, maybe it was a quarter of an inch ridge that came down halfway down the boot. We thought we'd never had it so good. And yet every year these companies keep raising the bar. People started using stiff classic skis because they clearly worked better than the really soft ones. So the original skating skis really were a classic ski with the tips cut off them and maybe a really stiff pair. And every year the ski companies have continued to stiffen that core of the ski, that center third of the ski, softening the tips and tails. And this progression has gone gradually year by year until I think the skis now are like 10 times as stiff underfoot as a, as a decent fitting pair of classic skis. And what it makes the ski do is it really holds the track in a hard track and it really glides well on a soft track. So the progression to an alpine-style buckle of the ankle, uh, really light poles, um, light swing weight, um, it's really fun stuff to have around. It's frankly, it's a dangerous shop for us to work in. We have to really uh, monitor our own purchases here for sure. <laughs> I can imagine. I know it's, it's, it's hard to not want the... Uh the latest and uh, greatest technology. And, and it, it does. I've just, from looking at your catalog, I had that scent and was looking over some of the new skis and stuff. And it's not only, you know, just the technology, the new, the new boot technology, but then the, of course the price seems to go up every year too for the highest end stuff, you know, what you spend it, on a good set. It can be really quite expensive. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I'm glad to hear from other, from parents in the community that it's uh, still a lot cheaper than a lot of other sport options in town. Right. Um, and that cross-country skiing, we still have, believe it or not, we still have an entry-level rec package for under 300. And we do have product now from some of the companies where we can outfit a brand-new high school racer with track gear for under 600, and that would be counting skis for both disciplines. Mm -hmm. what, um, on your um, bikes, are uh, you said that you're, getting into that more now i know the shops always had mountain bikes is that still the primary type of bike that you're selling there you know it's um road biking has continued to gain popularity mm -hmm. i think the rural backcountry roads rural paved roads of wisconsin are pretty unique in that um they're you know they pass by some really nice forests and lakes and bogs but um really quiet um we can go sometimes in June, we'll go for these long rides and we might ride in a baseline on a back entry road and, and maybe not see a car for 10 miles. It's really, it's really, um, 
surprisingly quiet and rural in some of these roads. Um, the new mountain bike trails have really changed the way people people used to ride up here in Hayward. I mean, it was really famous for mountain biking for a long time. Um, but we also we would just ride these old logging roads. And with the advent of this new single track, it's um, it's a whole new world for the mountain bike trail builders and the riders. It's uh, real three dimensional. Um, the bikes have changed a lot too. Um, oh yeah, you talk about technology. I mean, just yep. all the way around with the because I I had uh, to stay in shape. You know, we're going to get into the training section here, but you know, to stay in shape, I always running was always my mainstay, and then I, I participated in a half marathon and came back, and my knee swelled up. I mean, I finished okay, but then ended up having a tear in the meniscus, and that's when I, you know, my friend Tim Burke, who's a physician in uh, Duluth, you know, said, you know, you keep pounding on that, you know, you're asking for trouble. So I switched over to uh, biking as more of a mainstay thing in the summer, and I I tend to road bike more um, than I do uh, mountain biking, and we have the same thing down here in Kansas. We go out on some of these country roads, and same same type of thing, you know, nice pace line, and you just don't see that many cars, and you know, quite safe. The only thing we have down here a lot of is wind, <laughs> so you have to know yeah. which which direction. I mean, there's some. We've heard about the wind. Down yeah, we've there's been some. You know, we have uh, a lot of trees. Yeah, well, that helps. Yeah, here here you get out and you're out in the middle of the the plains. But uh, has um, cyclocross uh, grown up there? Have you seen? Are you carrying yeah, bikes and, and that what, way? Yeah. What a huge pile of fun! I mean, it just puts a grin on my face to be on a road bike on the ski trails out here. Yeah, you know it you can kind of be sliding your rear tire around a corner and, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and the bikes are so light. Um, actually cyclocross I thought was a pretty intimidating sport, but I have found it's, it's not that hard, at least at the courses we do it at the level we're at here locally. Um, really a great workout. And yeah. in a time of year when we're starting to want to not go for long rides because of the change in daylight, right? it's a huge sport. We can do a small, one mile circuit and that works really well for us. Yeah, that it's it's grown really big time here. And of course Kansas City not this year but the two prior years was the uh, uh national championships were here. Um but there's still three series. We do a uh I do a podcast with a friend here called the Kansas Cyclist Podcast. He has this fabulous website of every resource you'd need on Kansas cycling trails, rides, bike shops, and in, in all the surrounding states too. And we did a podcast on cyclocross because I don't. It, it just sounds crazy to me. I mean, it. I, uh, I have friends that do it, and they'll post stuff up on Facebook, and it's just like a muddy mess, is what it looks like to me. It but is. But <laughs> I, I think you should try it. Ed. I, I know. I don't know. Uh, I think it's more like cross country skiing than you'd think. Yeah, uh, it's uh, just well. Just the the obstacle. I don't know. It's just you know now the, the other thing, Joel, is that they're going into these you know specialized bikes for cyclocross because it's not just the road bike. You've got to have different brakes and then you know different tires and you know, <laughs> a, uh, you know. there's a challenge there. But um, the surprising thing about a cyclocross bike is that um, and similar to mountain biking too, I feel 
you've skied the Berkey Trail enough that it, it's ski and recover, ski and recover, right. ski and recover, going right. up and down all the time. Right. And um, and that's what cycling can be too, um, depending on the terrain that you're in. And one of the things about that is that for somebody who's into the outdoors, it, it just is so nice to be able to have an activity that's appropriate for that time of year. I mean, I'm all for cross-country training, cross-country ski training throughout the year, but I also want to make it as fun as possible. And if people are having fun and they're paceline on the road bike, or if they're having fun doing cyclocross in the fall or single tracking, that's just going to be great aerobic base work for, you know, a pretty big event in the third week of February where if you haven't been aerobically active all year, you're not going to enjoy a 50K on that course. All those hills are so steep. Yeah, because I've always liked doing, you know, the long distance, and I've, I've really um, enjoyed now the, you know, the century rides. There's a number of them around here. And and it is true. It is that kind of that, you know, you're going up a hill. And contrary to what people think, I mean, uh, eastern Kansas is actually quite hilly. I mean, I can take you on some some real, you know, you're going 40 miles an hour downhill, some of these hills there. Um, So it's not just completely flat. So you do get, we do get some good hill work work in um well i guess that uh, that that really builds to to you know your cross-country skiing helps the cycling yes even helps the cross-country ski season so really good activity and you know running is great but um it's not for everybody um and it's not for every age well i I think it it, really extend that yeah, you, 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 uh, what happened with me, I think just that constant pounding over the years, um, you know, some people will refute that. And I, I, of course, I pronate slightly. And so I've, I've always tried to get the best shoes and, and, you know, even some orthotics to correct that. But, uh, you know, I think still over the years, it pounded it enough. Um, and I, I've, you know, it's been a pleasure switching over to, to biking. Actually, I've found more of a community like skiing that you know you have buddies that you uh, go out with and you know you have fun you can talk where running it's kind of more of an individual sport well that that kind of segues us over we wanted to talk about uh you know training in the off season and i know we're kind of up there really almost getting into the the season although your weather's not cooperating yet um it was it near 50 and raining up there today or something yeah Uh, 44 right now. Yeah. It's, uh, pretty warm. I think the deer hunters are complaining. <laughs> yeah. They'd like to have three or four inches of snow on the ground right now. And I know the skiers are, we're champing, chomping at the bit too. Well, we, uh, you know, the Berkey has, is far reaching. I've lived in many different places and even down here, there's a group of us that have actually started a little, you know, Yahoo group that, uh, you know, to get together and do some training for the, uh, the Berkey. And when I first moved here, I met, uh, uh, a skier uh, that was was out, and we we trained together, and he he's done the the Berkey too. But I usually switch over. A lot of my cycling buddies kind of look at me cross eyed, but uh, you know, switch over to to roller skiing to get kind of more of a specific workout uh, for uh, skiing. So, I guess in your from your vantage point, how specifically does roller skiing assist Nordic skiers in the off season? And why is this an an important training tool? I think uh, for me, it really depends on the individual. Um, If you've got some cycling buddies who are really quite skilled at cycling and the cross country skiing is purely just for the enjoyment of being out in the snow and something to do in the off season for fitness, 
they may not be a candidate for roller skiing. But let's say you're an accomplished cross-country skiing and, skier and you want to extend your ability, if you want to beat your neighbor, if you want to beat Tim Burke, <laughs> the more time you spend on roller skis, the better. Um, despite how much cycling you may or may not do, you know, clearly the aerobic base is important, but the specificity of the upper body strength is yes. so good mm. in roller skis. You know, there was a study the U.S. biathlon team did a couple of years ago, and they did a contest on a rollerboard machine, and all it did was basically tell the coaches how strong these kids are on in their upper body and their double pole technique specifically. And uh, they did the stress test for these kids, and they ranked them, and it was like one through ten, and uh, they do it every year. And they also compare that list to next year's national championships. And the rankings are about 90% accurate. Mm. So, yes, the cycling is great and the running is great if you can do it or any of the other activities we do are great. But if you want competitive performance, you have to consider roller skis. And you have to consider, um, you know, what's going to be appropriate for the individual there. Some people, a lot of people I know, roller ski purely for the enjoyment of it. They like how easy it is on the body, um, and they like the rhythm of skiing, and so they want to duplicate that. Once you're good on roller skis and if you're good on snow, you can you can train exactly the same muscle group. Um, but there's some downsides to roller skiing, too. Um, I don't like to set beginners up in roller skiers. I don't like to set master skiers up on the roller skis. Um, you know, if you fall on pavement, it it's really awful. Yeah, that's um, what it, I was one thing that, uh, you know, I've and, noticed I have some of the older skis, you know, smaller wheels, no brakes and everything, and you, you know, run into just a little twig or something, and it can just stop you in your track and throw you. And, uh, you know, the new roller skis have got some really good safety benefits in that regard, but mm -hmm. the risk still does remain. And I have talked some of my customers out of buying roller skis, just thinking, you know, for this person's personal safety, if you're falling in snow, you probably, you know, if you're falling a lot in snow still, if that's a regular thing for you, then um, you don't want to be on roller skis yet. Now, I know other coaches will argue with me about it, but um, I think that there's a lot of activities we can get people hooked up into and really improve their cross-country skiing and not have that risk. Mm-hmm. So um, it really depends on the athlete. I think you've been roller skiing a long enough time. You understand the hazards there. You might benefit from some new roller skis with brakes. Yeah, well, I, I definitely. I'm going out roller skiing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and even some of the larger wheels, if, you know, to get so you can go off track. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've just, I've, I've, I've been stopped in my tracks a number of times with just little twigs sometimes that'll. I'll get in so, there. so I, I get very, you know, yeah. cautious when I ski. Absolutely. So um, I guess, you know, one of the products that's been out for a number of years, and we finally just started stocking it this year for this very reason, is uh, the cat skis. Um, you know, you're really, you can go out on a golf course on these things. Um, you're not going to get the glide that you get out of cross-country skiing in terms of the downhills but you certainly get it on duplicating the uphills. It's a phenomenally 
taxing workout aerobically and muscularly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if the goal is to get fit for cross country skiing, these are huge. These are great. So, what is the basic difference between a cat ski and a regular roller ski? Then is a it cat ski, a cat ski is gonna um, it's gonna duplicate striding on an uphill. Um, but it doesn't actually glide of its own. You can't ever just go into a tuck and glide down the next hill. You have to stride down the same hill you're striding up. Hmm. So you do the sort of controlled lunging on the downhills. Um, and I found the first, you know, if you can imagine your first hour on roller skis, um, you're trying to get the sense of balance on them. Similar thing with the cat skis. I found, um, I felt really awkward with them. Um, but I have gotten good enough now. I've had a couple of clinics from Dale, the guy who's building these. Um, the old Nigaman, I think, down in, I believe, Stevens Point. He's uh, another Berkey skier, really elite athlete. Um, and he's a tinkerer. He's an inventor. He's been tweaking these things for the last 20 years, I think. Um, I really do believe they can provide all the muscular and aerobic benefits you need without ever having to risk it on roller skis. So you don't now, have, you don't have the downhill you know terror as you. <laughs> yes, there's no downhill terror. <laughs> yeah. um, there's no automobiles around. Um, yeah. So they're great in that. I think that um, they you don't have that sense of cruising the downhills that you do on roller skis, which can be really enjoyable. So I I try to figure out where people are at in their progression. If they're a new skier, if they're an elderly skier and shouldn't be risking a fall on pavement. Or if they're um, some hotshot college kid, you know, you're going to have to, if you want to be that competitive, you're going to have to do a wide range of training. Mm-hmm. Well, well, tell us a little bit about um, the different types of roller skis that you can get into. I know on your website you had some uh, some pictures, but and I see the, the cat ski on there too. But tell us about what the differences are and, you know. The biggest thing in roller ski development has been a tube and tire, just like a bike tire. Mm-hmm. Uh, get those in a five inch or a six inch wheel now. Um, I use the five inch wheels. They're a little bit more prone to flat than the six inch wheels, which have an incredibly durable casing. But the six inch wheels to me feel like I'm skiing in about three or four inches of powder on top of the track, or maybe because you're so high five. up. Yeah. Well, and just it's uh, they're a little bit more sluggish oh. than the light ski. So you know when you're churning away through a through softer tracks that that seems to be what the 150 feels like to me the, the six inch wheel because the original um, ones more were like a roller blade tire uh tire almost right um and the first roller skis the very first roller skis um you remember the old three-wheeler ed spins and stuff mm-hmm. back back in the late 70s those had some shock absorbency because of the wooden frame but when we started a skate ski um you're really committing your weight out laterally, and if you hit a small piece of pea gravel, your front wheel grabs that and yep. jams at the frame, down you go. The new pneumatic tires, um, they tend to leave the debris on the on the road. So a piece of pea gravel that's that would normally foul up your frame, it's going to just be left there. And it's going to roll over that and leave it there. The other benefit of having a tube and tire is, um, is that you you feel like you're on snow. You have the soft ride. Um, you don't feel like you're, you're getting a constant vibration up the ski, mm-hmm. up the rough for surface of asphalt. Um, and you can seek out rougher roads for that reason. And if you can seek out rougher roads, you're not limited to really good pavement, then you can pick uh, 
pick a road that you like based on the aesthetics or the beauty of that trail, that road, or the lack of traffic or proximity to a lake for post roller ski swim. So it really does open up a lot of options. Yes. Right. Um, the new brake works really well. I know there have been some brakes in the past that uh, were probably more dangerous to apply to than to never use. Because you had to what, lean, lean and, over and pull something? or uh, Yeah, and it yeah. would just lock the wheel up. There wasn't a lot of control oh. <laughs> of how much stops power. Um, the new brake works really well. Um, so I, you know, for people who are committed to roller skiing and learning it, uh, we do clinics, we do take people out. Um, and I, I'm a real strong advocate of brakes. What about speed reduction? Uh, those to... came out even before the brakes and uh, a lot of people use them to do hill repeats. Um, we want to climb the meanest hills we can find to duplicate ski terrain. Right. But um, coming down them doesn't always make sense, and running downhill in skate boots is also not fun. So, um, so yeah, um, speed reducers are great because you can just sort of check your speed right at the outset. At the top of the hill, you apply the speed reducers and then glide downhill with some control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've learned to, I mean, as I said, eastern Kansas, I go on a... Uh, we have a lot of trails around here that are paved, but they're, they can be narrow and there can be some hairpin turns and stuff. So I've learned to, you know, know where the, you know, danger spots that, you know, don't go barreling down here and expect to turn uh, on right. a dime. But um, uh, I've learned some techniques just, to, you know, I know you can't snowplow, but you can sort of, you know, hold those out and it helps you kind of, you know, if you go back and forth and kind of a snowplow on a steep hill, I can pretty much get down it, that. It takes some, um, it takes some real um, teaching time to help people learn how to do that. Yeah. And, you know, if you are going to get into roller skiing, I really suggest grab somebody who's been there before, has some similar equipment, and can walk you through which roads are going to be good and which ones aren't. Um, we've kind of got, we've got some maps of the local area where pick some really quiet roads where all the hills have got a decent rollout. And maybe even schedule a swim right there too. So I, you know, I love roller skiing. I, I think it's been been many years doing it, but I, I suppose I've become a little bit cautious in how I recommend it to people. Yeah. Well, no, I, that's very important. I mean, are there what are some good places for people to go? I mean, if they're looking in in their areas, what what do you look for? Well, I think uh, one thing to consider is some visibility. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you've got, like you said, you know, some corners that may be blind um, or, if, you know, a real classic, a real classic no-no on roller skis is coming down a steep hill that's got a road crossing at the bottom. Oh, you know, yeah. What are you going to do if someone yeah. pulls out of the driveway? <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, I think that walking through those scenarios in your head first and then trying to seek out a place makes sense. Obviously, um, your balance is going to be key. Um, there are a lot of balance drills you can do on easy terrain and roller skis that, um, worth practicing before you start tackling more difficult terrain. Um, I think uh, really smart to wear some high-vis clothing. Most of the bike companies will make great vests nowadays that are technical fabrics, but they're going to give you some screaming yellow color so you show up in the road really well. Um, helmets, I think are really smart to wear. I you know, used to be pretty cavalier back in back when I was training for the, the ski team, but um, we used to never wear any protection, but I'm pretty diehard about wearing helmets these days. Um, my my kids help remind me. Yeah. 
I'm so uh, emphatic that they wear their helmets when they're out biking that uh, they've started to police me too, and that's a good thing. Do you wear any other, or do you recommend any other uh, personal protective gear like you know, knee, elbow? You know, I don't wear any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose that's still a little bit of vanity on my part. I did get over the helmet thing and wearing it, but um, hips and knee pads make a lot of sense to me. I know um, a couple of guys do use that, and that does make a ton of sense. Yeah, I, well, I probably look like your worst nightmare out there because I'm like a personal protective gear nut, but uh, just because of the type of work I've done over the years um, uh, in you know hospital administration and trauma services. But the, yeah, I do wear the the knee and the elbow, and those have really helped sometimes, especially that those times when you hit something and you're doing kind of flying forward and land on your elbows uh, or, you know, down, down onto the knees on, on pavement. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, uh, and I agree with the, the, the helmet uh, used to, but we still, you know, here in Kansas, you still get kind of some looks, you know, people sort of stop and go, what's that guy doing? You know, or, you know, there's no snow here. And I go, yeah, I know. I, you know, yeah. As a cross-country skier, I mean, we we do buck the trends. You know, we yeah. seek out bad weather and nasty hills. And it, I remember one day I was roller skiing in the state park in McCall, Idaho, and I did that classic maneuver. I hit a small piece of pea gravel, and it, I was moving at high speeds, and I laid it out pretty hard on the pavement. And I just was sort of lying there and kind of coming back to thinking about maybe coming back to consciousness, you know, <laughs> and I was laying there attached to my skis and my poles. And I realized that as I was gathering myself and, you know, getting back up and seeing if anything was broken, um, there was an elderly couple standing by the side of the road that had been walking through this footpath that goes through the forest. They have this great old growth ponderosas and, um, wonderful little wood chip footpath and really glorious little quiet terrain and I, I can only imagine what they were trying to they're trying to figure out exactly what had happened to me I don't think they saw me skiing down the road I think they maybe thought I fell out of a tree or something <laughs> and I, I remember just not even being in the mood to explain it but you know getting back up and on with my workout and I do remember thinking you know it for us cross-country skiing is uh you know Seeing it done well, seeing the technique, seeing the strength in, uh, in an athlete's condition is a beautiful thing to us. There's a real rhythm there. And yet, on the other hand, I, I often wonder what the other people's perceptions are who have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, I mean, I I really do, I mean, I, I feel great after a workout, and it does, you know, as you said, it's that upper body, but I think it's also kind of that stability and balance on the skis, the, your ankles yeah, and, and stuff that you're just not doing on a bicycle or even with running um talking about upper body um are what types of poles should skiers use and how would they be different than a a pole that you would use snow skiing well the main thing the roller ski ferrule has got to be super durable Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of people just take their ski poles and pull the baskets off and put ferrules on um i find that to be a little bit of a hassle in the fall when we're going through spring, you know, we're going through a melt and then we get Back snow. and forth, yeah. Yeah, so I finally just dedicated a couple of pair for roller skiing and a couple of pair for skiing. And that's been nice. I've found since then that the one-way roller, or the one-way uh, snow baskets are incredibly durable for roller skiing. Hmm. So if you're looking at just buying one pair of poles this year, you might consider that if you'd like to roller ski and ski. 
Um, the we used to say use a heavy pole for roller skiing because it'll be good conditioning. I've found that um, I've been convinced by other coaches now and tested it out myself that if you actually train with a light pole, you train more precise technique. Oh. You train better muscle memory. Oh. And I encourage people to use their light poles. Maybe not the three hundred dollar light poles. Maybe the next step down. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah, you can risk breaking them, but um, if you're if you're at the upper level of the sport, certainly you should be using light poles. That's interesting because I, I had, um, well, I same thing. I'd used uh, an older pair of poles, yeah. and they're they're heavier. And I thought, well, that's actually good because I'm getting a little workout. And then when I get on the snow, I'll be you know flying. But uh, that's a good point about the muscle memory. Um, I, I think you'll be able to tell. Yeah. So basically, for our listeners, it's basically it's just the same. It's the same type of pole. It's just the the ferrule that's different. And um, typically, what I try to set people up on one is is something that's more of a medium quality pole. It's not too heavy. Yeah. Not expensive. It's going to be reasonably durable. And then the ferrules you can get. Uh, I know I purchased mine up through you guys, and I actually bring them up and get them sharpened too. So um, and ferrules are a little bit like wax. I found. I found a. Uh, Cross-country skiers tend to be a superstitious group of people. Uh, they were real. They had a good day with Swix one day, and they <laughs> yeah. from then on forever. And I, for me, the the roller ski ferrule of choice is the V2. Um, those things uh-huh. seem most durable to me. Yeah. Well, talk to us too about uh, there. You know, there's a lot going on in the world of Nordic walking and even pole hiking. A lot of people did. So that's you know just using your poles to to walk. What and here in Hayward, we're really lucky because we've got all these great grassy ski trails that they they mow throughout the summer, and it's really closely cropped right now. So if we do get any snow, we'll be in business. It's, uh, the soil type here is so unique. We don't have a lot of rock. Uh, the grass grows really nicely on it. Uh, you'll be walking on a ski trail. It's surrounded by spruce and maples and oaks and birch, and at the same time, the footing is really stable and if you walk with poles, you're taking a certain amount of stress off your knee and ankle, mm. and you're increasing the aerobic load, and you're also developing some core strength, um, some arm, um, some back, some torso, abdomen strength that really does make a big difference. I think that typically when you start pole hiking, you don't feel like you're working that hard, but you notice after the workout how your body feels afterwards, and clearly very effective. Um, also a nice social activity. Um, the Berkey Trail in particular is like wide enough that you can walk two or three across and um, just get a little bit of a visit in, maybe see some wildlife. I, I, I'm a little cautious to recommend roller skiing to everybody, but pole hiking works for everybody, no matter what the ability. Yeah. And there have been some specialized poles or, that have come out, but you can still just use your regular ski you poles. You can use ski poles. Yeah. Um, the Nordic walking gods will frown on you. Nordic <laughs> walking pole, but they do, there are some nice features. If you live in town, um, Nordic walking poles have um, have available some soft uh, ferrules, like a rubber paw. Yes, yeah, I've got those on mine. Right, and those are nice and quiet in town, um, and those are quickly changeable. So if you've got maybe ten blocks of pavement and then a nice park, you can pull the, the rubber off and then have a spike for climbing the grassy hills. That that has actual real nice value for Nordic walkers. 
Well, the other thing I, I got to my my wife and I like to do that, and um, it also can collapse, so we can take it, you know, on trips, take the poles with us on trips, and they're a little easier That's to pack up. You know, when you're traveling, we're often concerned about, well, am I going to lay off my training or am I going to be able to do something there? What what can we do when we're in town? You know, do they have a nice park to go check out? I mean, part of the getting in, interested in biking and skiing in general for me is this extended <clears throat> capability that people gain, this extended freedom. You know, you can, as a cyclist, Ed, you're going to, if I told you you had a business meeting in Burlington, Vermont next week, uh, what would you be bringing? Yeah. You'd be thinking about bringing a bike maybe. Be thinking about bringing some Nordic walking poles. I think that's really cool because it it enables us to really get some really fun outside time and do some exploring. Right. Well, how important? What other types of things uh, should skiers do to stay in shape uh, during the off season? But but really on and off season when they're not actually skiing. And how important think, is like core training? Well, I think for a lot of people, the the running, the biking, the roller skiing. The skiing is really enjoyable, and it's it's not hard to get into a rhythm with that. It's really beneficial. Um, I find that the stuff we all tend to let go and not get focused on is is some of the gym work. Not that you have to do it in a gym, but um, I think that uh, there are figure that you lose like one percent of your lean muscle mass every year of your life, um, and yet you can counteract that effect by by either weightlifting or resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Resistance training. Um, I've spent the weekend splitting wood and I think that's good. Um, I, uh, I think that the specific drills that you can find from some of the coaching outlets, whether it's team CXC or the USC team or some of the other coaches that have some real specific cross country ski exercises actually will make your balance better and make you feel better both on skis and on the bike. I found, uh, if you do, uh, you find an ab routine that works for you. I'm a real proponent of those physio balls, the, uh, yes. the air football. Um, <clears throat> for me, that really supports uh, my body in a way that I used to get the real neck pain trying to do crunches just on the floor. But if I find the, if I use that soft ball to put my lower back on, I can do I can do ab exercises to muscle failure. And I think uh, I actually learned that from a customer about the. Uh, 10 years ago or so, uh, I was really having these chronic backaches after a hard bike ride. And I said, well, you just need to do more crunches. And he showed me a few, and I could do about five or six of them. And today I can do like 180 of them. And I, it's it really makes a huge difference in how I feel. Um, I feel better balance on the bike. I've got more coordination on the bike. Um, I have less neck pain on a long bike ride. I find, um, and my cross-country skiing is, you know, it's so much better. I find a these muscle muscles atrophy, and we don't really realize it. Yeah, I, I I need to do more of the resistance. That's one thing. I I tend to be more aerobic oriented. Um, now I, I still have my old Nordic track and still use that, especially on days that it's you know you can't get outside and you you want a decent workout. And that's my machine still plugging away after many it's years. It sat it sat dormant for a while, and then I got it back out, and it's. It's good to have something like that. I find um, if you can find some bungee cord exercises to strengthen the hips and and the Mm -hmm. torso, I think uh, it'll it makes the skiing much more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It makes the biking more enjoyable. I have to. I do find that uh, for me, if I'm doing planks by myself, 
um, it's not a lot of fun. It's more fun to suffer with other individuals. <laughs> yeah, right. Do uh, um, what about yoga? As a, as um, a I personally, I I do yoga too, Ed. I I find uh, I get a lot of uh, benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up in a household where yoga was just sort of what people did when they woke up in the morning, and so it's. I think it's really good. Um, I think you can. That's also another another thing that's gone mainstream. I mean, it used to be only hippies did yoga, but now it's uh, really common, and I think it's, uh, most people really understand that it's quite valuable if you get into a routine. That yeah, I've, I've gone at a club or I've gone back class. and forth with it. You know, Mike Tarnow, who's the other uh, on our podcast here, he uh, he's he's done yoga for years and years, and you can tell because how flexible he is. And um, I'm, you know. I inherited, I'm more of like a plank and, and really doing that kind of work really, I think helps you in balance and then, you know, stretching. And I think for a lot of people, it's a, a a really good regular practice. Yeah. Um, So I do, I strongly recommend it. I do think that, um, I've seen people get into yoga and do it a little too hardcore. Um, I find if, if you don't have a background in it and you're starting it late in life, um, just make sure you get a good instructor. Don't right. take it easy. Yeah. Write anything. Um, and on the other hand, I think that uh, if all you're doing is riding your bike and doing yoga, you're probably missing out on some of the more plyometric motions that would be beneficial for you. Right. right. So like, you know, you're feeling like maybe the resistance training would be something you could add and it would, it would really give something to your training program. I, you know, I think that's true. I think something like that would really change that, uh, would add more to it. Yeah. Well, Joel, we're getting towards the end here. I just wanted to thank you again for being on the podcast, but also I, I think thanks to, uh, to New Moon, it's such a uh, store that, you know, trusted over the years. And I, and I can just tell from talking to you that, you know, if I came in and wanted to buy uh, you know, roller skis, you might talk me out of it. And, you know, I think that's the type, that's the type of thing that we need though, that, you know, you're really looking at the philosophy of that individual skier, making sure that they're fit properly. And now with your bicycles, you know, to make sure that people have that proper fit and that, that's what brings customers back. And I think that's why people, you know, like the, the new moon, uh, ski shop. So, um, I uh, congratulate you on keeping that philosophy. Thanks, Ed. I really uh, appreciate the chance to talk to you today. And I, you know, I got to say, I, I do have the lucky job of being able to interact with uh, all these Berkey skiers and other athletes. You know, people find different solutions for their for their workout routines, and it, it's really fun to learn. Actually, like uh, learn from our customers and um, and learn what does well for them and how we can pass it on to the next customers. It's been really fun. Yeah. Well, best of uh, luck. I hope it's uh, going to be a great ski season. I hope it gets cold here soon, and uh, I will definitely uh, be stopping in in February and see you then. All right, Ed. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate you downloading Episode 7 of Berkey Web Today, and we do hope that you will subscribe to our podcast so that you will not miss out on future episodes. If this is the first episode you are listening to, our past episodes are available on our website at podcast.berkeyweb.com with show notes and links. We are also on iTunes. We have a lot of interesting news and interviews that we have planned before, during, and after the Berkey, so please come back. 
Also, please leave your feedback by writing to webmaster at berkeyweb.com. For more information about other podcasts available through the Eero Podcast Network, go to the website at epn.eero.com. Take care and ski fast. <laughs>